Shelley. Thank you. You're so welcome. Good morning. I'm Shelley McBurney, in case you don't know me. And among several other things in the church, I am also the minister of small groups and connections. So I like to encourage small groups. But I'd like to share with you um, Good Shepherd's disciple-making program. When Jesus spoke in the Bible, he was speaking not only to who he was with, but also to us. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Bible was written for us, and it is our instruction manual. Slide one. We had technical difficulties this morning. The last thing Jesus sent to us before he ascended to heaven, read this with me, please. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very ends of the earth, teaching them to be disciples. For the next seven Sundays, we are going to be hearing testimonies about small groups. But before we begin that, I want to give you a little background. Back in 2016, we started some roots groups. They were accountability groups. There were several of them. There are still two in existence. Happy Hearts, which is facilitated by Shirley Vaughn, and the Men's Something, facilitated by Davis. They meet every other Thursday. So... From there, we went into Lent of 2017, and we formed up some small groups that studied purpose-driven life. Who did one of those small groups in 2017? Some of those groups stayed together. I hosted one in my home with three other ladies, and we stayed together until June of 2017 when I left town for 12 weeks. They didn't want to meet without me, but when I came back, we had difficulty reforming. So in November of 20, oh, you can, yeah. No, I don't want that one yet. Go back. <laughs> Go back. That one. There's Jesus with all of his disciples, the 12 apostles plus his mother and Mary Magdalene. And that is from the movie Son of God, which we all went to see. It was a wonderful movie, and I love that picture. It's, he's telling them something. He's pointing up. So in November of 2018, Virginia Yancey, Kim Grubb, and I teamed up and formed a small group. Um, we became Sky, 1S, S-K-Y, Shelly, Kim, and Yancey. You know, you got to be creative sometimes. Um, during our Saturday morning gatherings, we did accountability and a variety of studies, including class meeting. Who did the class meeting book? Yeah. Okay. So fast forward one year. Pastor Jeremy invited Barb Hall and I to go to the National Discipleship Forum. Okay. Now you can go that one. There, Barb discovered this study, Disciple Making Essentials Series Study. When we returned to the church and after much prayer and discussion and passing all the books around and reading them and skimming through them, 
Pastor Barbara and I decided that this was the study for our small groups to begin doing. So in January of 2020, Stephanie Morsey joined our small group, making us four. And four is about the perfect number for a small group. Jesus had his 12 disciples, and then he had the inner three, right? So there were four of them. A month later, we began this series. And over the course of the last 16 months, I can tell you our lives have been transformed. This series takes you through everything you need to know to be a disciple-making disciple. Go ahead, Davis. Go one more. One more. Thank you. So there we are. We became Sky. Two S's. Sky, Stephanie, Shelley, Kim, Yancey. And we will be sharing with you throughout the month of June how it has changed us. And in July, you'll be hearing from Stephanie. Stephanie has formed a new group, and this is what disciple-making is about. We train disciples, they go out and train disciples, and they go out and train disciples. So during Lent of this year, we formed, we challenged a Lent study, do the first book, the first book in this series. We had two groups start, a men's group and a ladies' group. Stephanie volunteered, stepped up to facilitate the second group, making more disciples. So her group is going to speak to you in July. So all seven weeks through this series, you will be hearing from one of us. Also, after the service, all month, we will be hosting a bit of an open house in the fellowship hall. One of these Sundays, stop in and see us. And we'll tell you more about us and what we can do and how we've been changed. And now... Kim will give you her testimony on small groups. Hi, good morning. Uh, I get the eyes together here. So as I started thinking about what it was that I'd be led to, to share with you, it's changed about, oh, 5,000 times in the last two weeks. So we'll, we'll see what comes out uh, this morning. Um, but consistently, it's been. Uh, I want to start with uh, reading to you words from Acts chapter two, verse forty-two through forty-six. And this is because over the course of time, this particular part of Scripture keeps coming back to us. And so, this is from the NIV translation. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when Shelly asked me about my testimony, I started thinking back to what was life like before I had small groups. And it actually went back to when Dan and I were in Terre Haute in um, our former um, home church of Mount Pleasant. And our pastor, Aaron Wheaton, at that time 
said, hey, we need to start doing small groups. And when he said that, there was this panic that struck me. And I said, oh, no. To me, that was scary. And I came up with the excuse, well, I just don't have time for any of that. Um, But that was to cover that scariness, that thought that I'm not Christian enough to be in a small group. And what are they going to think about me? And as we dig into that deep, dark secrets, right? And so those were those preconceived notions. And then time went on, and we were able to kind of pass it off for a while until one day uh, the associate pastor, uh, Rick Swan, and his wife, Sherry, said, hey, we're getting ready to start a couples group, and we would just love for you and Dan to be a part of it. I was like, hmm, well, what do you say to the associate pastor about that? He's like, well, sure, absolutely. We would love to be a part of that. And now I can't imagine not being part of a small group. Um, when we came here, again, Shelly kind of led you through how we kind of got to that, that part. But there was that huge, there was a bit missing. And when Shelly said, hey, I want to start a small group, would you consider prayerfully to join us? And it didn't take me long to realize I needed that part back um, in my life. And so... As I kind of went through that and thought about it, it's like, you know, a small group, and what is it, and what is it not? Well, you know, it it is part, it's different from a Bible study, although Bible study is certainly part of it. It's different from fellowship, although fellowship certainly is part of that, and certainly breaking of bread has to be there, right? We are United Methodist after all. Um, So, and it's different from the accountability group, although that is part of it. But there's so much more to do with that for it to be part of that small group. Um, you know, another part of it is I can do daily devotionals. I can do Bible studies on my own. I can do scripture reading by myself, which is still needed because I still need that to grow in my knowledge and my relationship with, with God. I still need prayer, and as Pastor Jeremy said, those are some essentials that are there for us. And it's certainly all those components put together with this small group that help you to continue or help me to continue to grow as that disciple um, and grow in my following of Jesus. I think the other problem I think sometimes at least for me was thinking a disciple and it's just that big overwhelming how can I be a disciple of Jesus and when you break it down it's that am I following Jesus am I trying to grow closer to Jesus and follow his lead. And as um, Shelley kind of alluded, you know, Jesus had us in a group. He had a small group that he modeled for us, right? And so then that question came in my mind. It's like, well, if it was good enough for Jesus, and you can finish it, right? Um, So kind of with all those things, there's that part of that small group. But more than that this particular series that we started about 16 months ago and it's led that growth and I part of what was changing for me as I was coming to church this morning was it's not really all about me in the beginning to start the small group it was all about me it was all about how do I grow how do I feed myself through this small group but now that we're into this discipleship-making process and how do we make disciples, I still need to grow. I still need to do all those things for me, but it's not 
for me to stay here. It is for me to take it and to be able to share and show others Jesus, his love, his grace, his mercy, and to ask them to come follow Jesus and bring them through that process as part of a small group. So um, if you'll bear with me, there was one part that we went through in our lesson. Right now we're in the discipleship essentials from the series. It was a couple of weeks ago in our lesson, and it has just kept coming back to me. So sometimes, you know, when things keep coming back to you, it's like, okay, I need to kind of share that out. So this is kind of what drove home to me that disciple-making disciple and why it's important, not just for me, but for us to try to share it out with the members of our church. And so from Ken Adams' book, um, By spending time with Jesus and being taught by him, the disciples grew into spiritually mature leaders. This is the same process the church needs today. The next generation will not be able to keep the mission and the movement of Christ going unless we are developing spiritually mature disciples that can lead. This is the way the church desperately needs to be making disciples that make disciples. If we do not make disciples the way Jesus did, the whole movement of Christianity will come to a screeching halt. I don't know. It still rings to me today. And um, one last thing to leave you with. Our shirts uh, that Stephanie, I'll give her a plug, um, designed for us. Uh, And it's up here. So kind of the thing that's kind of resonated with us and it's kind of been our logo or our motto, if you will, the two hearts and the go. It's love God, love others, go. And as we go, make disciples. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. It's a little taste of what we're going to be exploring over the next seven weeks and listening and hearing from transformational life stories of these folks who have been doing this for uh, a long time, and some have been doing a shorter amount of time. So it's pretty amazing stuff to be able to think about as we uh, gather together. Interestingly enough, of course, the scripture is from Acts 2.42 all the way through 47 uh, through this whole sermon series. So as we look at that, you're welcome to look at that in the U version. If you haven't done the U version before, I really encourage you that the It's a great way to be able to take notes. It's a great way to be able to go right into it. Just go to events. It should pop right up and be good shepherd. should be the closest. Hit it. Make sure you save it. And then uh, be able to go back and look at this. This sermon series is going to be a really powerful one. And one that this is the basics. This is it. If we don't get this right, there's no reason to do anything else in the church. We are going back down to the studs. You're building the house. We are going back down to the studs, to the foundation to make sure that we have it right because nothing else we do in this new world matters besides that. So I'd really encourage you to to make sure to take some good notes during this time of all the things you're going to hear and be able to start to put those into place. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Gracious God, just open us up. Summer's upon us. We're going to be traveling. We're getting back to normal, though there isn't really a normal anymore. We're creating something new, and you're always creating. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, you create something new in us all the time. 
if we're willing to listen and to hear. And so, Lord, just pour that Spirit into us. Help us to, to go back to those early days with the, with the first disciples and as they began to build the church you wanted them to build on the solid and sure foundation of the things that you said were essential and that you showed us were essential to what it means to be the church. Pour in the words that I have this morning. Pour in the words that you're going to say to all of us that I may not even speak this morning. And let us hear from you. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask this both for those who are here and for those who are at home. And together, all of us said, Amen. So back in Lent, as Shelley said, we were all encouraged to be part of a four-week small group called The Essentials that went out to all the small group leaders, all the larger group leaders, about doing this during Lent. And so, as she said, two groups were formed out of that. One of those groups was uh, ours. Davis, myself, and Mike Morris came together to form a group. And so we've been doing that since Lent. Davis actually is preaching next Sunday. And so he'll be speaking about his experience as well during the course of talking about fellowship, one of his favorite words. And so... As part of that small group doing the essentials, we were like, you know, four weeks. Shelly's asking me again and again, just do it. It's four weeks. It's during Lent. It's a busy time for me. I don't have, I don't have this time to give. And uh, so we'll just do it for four weeks, and then we'll be done. And that's not how it happened. After the four weeks when we were doing it, then we, we sat there and we talked. And, you know, Davis and Mike had not been sitting in, in a room together uh, having this experience, and we talked at the end of it, and we all agreed we wanted to continue on, that we were so transformed by the first four weeks, we wanted to keep going. So you're going to hear those kind of stories over these next weeks from different members of those groups all the way through. And there was a transformational experience in, in doing those first four weeks that helped me to refocus on one area in particular as a pastor. I've seen all this stuff before. I've read all of this. I've been doing this for 25 years. You know, there's not a part of the Bible I haven't looked at at one time or another to preach on, to teach on, or something else. But what that means is you can become so overly familiar with it that you lose sight of what's really important. So yes, even I need to be in a small group to be able to have a different experience than just knowing things. And so in that, one of the things that got me was that the, what the early church found to be essentials of being followers of Jesus above anything else. And to ask the question, what were the things that they needed to grow? What were the things that they couldn't live without? And that was when the epiphany happened for me as we started looking at, in that first uh, book, Acts 2, 42 through 47, and what they were devoted to. Because this is the crucial piece. And there's all kinds of Acts 2, 42 churches, all kinds of material. There's all kinds of, everybody knows that's the basics of the church, but it's almost like, you know, you forget after a while what Acts 2, 42 actually says. See, the church is a people, lots and lots of messy people who come together to know and worship Jesus. How many of you have an iPhone? Raise your hand. 
Do you have a Wii phone? No, you have an iPhone, right? It's an iPhone. You know why it's called the iPhone? It's about you. That's why it's called the iPhone. It's made to be about you. That's why it's called the iPhone, literally. That's like it's not called the Wii phone, not called the Me. It's called the iPhone. But in the church, we come together and worship Jesus not as an I church. Is it I church? No. It's we church. You see? It's about something more than just me, as Kim was saying. That's what we see in Acts. A we church, not an I church. Messy people coming together to know and worship Christ Jesus. And Acts 2, 42-47, introduces us to the first church plant ever. The first church. And as we look at it, we see there are a community of believers that's doing church what? Together. The word together is all over that passage. Not individually, but together. Say together. Well, that's pretty good the first time. I want to make you do it the second time. So today I want to look at what that means. What does it mean to do church together? If it's an I church, it's all about me and my preferences. Your iPhone is all figured out for you. You have what you want on the screen. It does what you want to do. It, it does everything. You've got your background image. and It's all about you, see? But if it's a we church, it's about Christ and His preferences. Not what we want to do or what we think is important, but what He thinks is important, see? And He's given us an example of what He'd like to see in Acts 2.42 and following. And I see some truths and some principles that are here for all churches to, to get back to. So today we're going to look at what those are, which tell us how to do church together. And then others are going to go deeper into each one of these in the weeks ahead. So the first one that we do when we do church together is, and we can't live without, is we gather around God's Word. Say Word. 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 I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that. Word. We gather around God's Word. This is not rocket science. It's all right here in front of us in about five verses. We open Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost, which we celebrated. And then we hear Peter preach, and 3,000 people repent and believe in Jesus in the middle of Acts 2. Now here, those who stay behind in Jerusalem and don't return to their homes in the countryside, they stay together and they form the first church. It's like they almost naturally come together to do what they're supposed to do to be a church. And it starts with gathering around God's Word. Acts 2.42 and 43 and all these other verses, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. To study. They don't yet have copies of the New Testament, of course, but they have the Hebrew Scriptures what they would have called the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevem, the prophets, and the Gedevim, the historic, and the poetry. They had all of that. And the apostles, the twelve disciples, would have spent time talking about Jesus, 
reminding them of his teachings, showing how the Tanakh points to Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. They would be teaching all of these things to those who now believed, just like Peter did in his sermon. Then they performed miracles just like Jesus to authenticate that what they're saying is true. Signs and wonders. You see, there there has to be something that brings us together as a people of God. What I mean is, is that we're not a moody or social club. We're not an exercise group. We're not a cooking club. We're not a book club. It's not our hobbies or our interests or anything else that unites us except Christ Jesus and His Word as Christians. Amen? That means when we get together as Christians, we can talk about all those other things, and and we do. All of us can discuss Star Wars who love Star Wars or Star Trek. They're different. Don't confuse them. our favorite TV shows and recipes and hobbies, but we talk about Jesus and His Word. That's what Christians do. Don't jaw about the day. Don't jaw about the politics. Don't jaw about whether how to fix the plumbing in our house. That's not what Christians do. That is a side conversation of fellowship, you see. See, when, when we gather around God's Word, you could say we're gathering around Christ and the Gospel. That we're gathering together around the Word. That we're coming to learn about Him. To see how Scriptures point to Him. To confess our sins to Him. To receive His grace into our lives. To remember His sacrifice on the cross. To celebrate His resurrection and His ascension. To be in relationship with Him. To know Him. That's the purpose of what we do as Christians when we focus around the Word. And there is someone who unites us despite our different backgrounds, in our movies, in our foods, in our exercise preferences. You can like tomatoes, and I don't have to like them. And we can still talk about Christ. That's the Word that joins us together. We gather around Jesus and His Word. But Christianity is not just a Bible study. You can't just go to a class to learn more about Jesus and be a disciple, to be a follower. Because Christianity is a lifestyle. So second, we do life together. Say together. Together. I'll catch you once. You'll drift off and I'll be waiting. We do life together. Once again, Acts 2.42. Now we're in the B part. And then we look at 44 and 46 too. They devoted themselves to what? Fellowship. And all the believers were what? Together and had everything in common. The church is not a building. We learned that over the last 16 months now. We don't have to meet in this space in order to be the church. 
We can be anywhere and do that. The church is not a building but, or a place, but a fellowship. People doing life together. That's the church. And the word for fellowship in verse 42 is the Greek word koinonia. Say koinonia. Koinonia. I'm going to have some lunch today. Koinonia. The side of fries. Koinonia. It most commonly means, what do you think? Together, fellowship, communion, participation, sharing, koinonia. Say it again, koinonia. You really see what that means? You look at verse 45 and 46. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet what? Together in the temple courts. These people were willing to sell their property and possessions to help each other out. No, it's not communism. It's not socialism. It's not get into your political ideology. It's none of that. It's about helping each other out in the communal bond of friendship and fellowship. They cared that much. And they trusted each other that much to help each other out and they're spending time together worshiping. Daily. In the 12th century, an English monk named Elred called doing life together spiritual friendship. We are to spend time with each other, care for each other, be willing to sacrifice for each other, give generously to each other, share a common life, all in response to what Jesus is doing those things for us. He did all those things first so that we would do them for each other and show us how to do them. Not the I church, but the we church. Say we church. We church. The we church. The Bible says little of independence in doing things for yourself. So whenever I hear talk about people make decisions about what's best for me, that is not a biblical standard. There is nowhere in the Bible that talks about what is best for me. Jesus didn't say, well, let me do what's best for me. The disciples never said, let me do what's best for me as the individual. The Bible is a community experience that does everything for community. Community comes first over the individual. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. That's a biblical kind of thing. It's from Star Trek, but it's a biblical kind of thing. I mean, we're already doing this kind of fellowship. The church is all about service instead of serve us. It's about service. How do we serve someone else instead of serve us? What are you going to do for me? I'm not being fed. I'm not getting what I want. That isn't about the church. That's about our consumeristic mindset about what it means to be a Christian. What is you doing for me? We already are doing fellowship when we gather for worship, when we play games or eat a meal. 
when we're in a community group, we're in a Bible study, go on a hike or join together in a community group, when we visit each other in the hospital, that's fellowship. Fellowship is seeing each other on the good days and the bad, caring on the dying days and the living ones, day in and day out. It's getting up early for breakfast when you don't want to. It's praying for each other, asking each other, how goes it with your soul? That's the church. Which is probably more like how our families and children see us than our church family. But that's how deep it's supposed to be. The early church was that. They were family. They weren't just friends who bump into each other on Sunday mornings and go their varying ways during the week and have no idea what's going on in the lives of each other. The early church was together. Say together. All the time. There's deeper commitment to this too. The root of the Greek word for fellowship, koinonia, is koinos. Say koinos. Koinos. Which means common, impure, profane. Though something rich and meaningful and loving about church fellowship, it can also become something almost profane and impure. We just don't take it to be important. Now, over the last 16 months, all of a sudden we took it real important to be together. We're ready to fight it out. We'll battle the battle of the mask, the battle of the vaccines, the battle of whatever to make sure you won't tell me what to do, I won't tell you what to do. Well, you know, you can't touch me, I can't touch you, or you can't touch me, and you can't. All of this stuff because all of a sudden fellowship became super important to us in ways that we'd never understood before when we just expected it. Pastor Rick Harrington published a book called How to Find a Church, Seven Steps to Become Part of a Spiritual Family. And the first step is preparation, he said. The second is the visit and so on and so forth. But the last step, he says, is this, which is very telling about a true church community. Persevering through the pain. He writes, you will get hurt. I actually think this is part of God's plan for the church though it does not excuse the one who causes the pain. He wants us to learn to forgive and show grace. This is where it takes true grit, a staunch stomach and a test of faith. You need to stick it out. When you've done this step, you've found your spiritual family. If you're looking for a place where everybody gets along, that isn't the church. Only until we have those differences, only until we get tired of one another, until we get to that place where we have to work on something really tough and really hard and have to be able to respect one another and listen and be able to share, do we ever know what it really means to be part of a church family and community? Otherwise, we're just showing up for something with others. We're never really connected. I mean, life together has wonderful times of encouragement and joy, but it also has bruises and frustrations, and there have been lots of bruises and lots of frustrations over the last year and a half for all of us in every way possible. And that's what happens. The more you care, 
about the community, the more that happens. But a lot of what happened over this last year and a half was about my individual wants, not about the church. And that became the big thing, not about the community. So first, we gather around God's Word. Second, we do life together and going out of order in the text because I'm focusing on the other one. Third, we pray together. Say, pray together. Acts 2.42, part D. They devoted themselves to what? Prayer. Remember the word devoted. Devoted themselves to prayer. And then later on it says, praising God. In Acts, we find the early church praying together and worshiping together. And a church that prays together stays together. That's how it works. There's a quote from Gene Getz in the book, Old Past, New Power, that was really powerful to me when I read it this week. And it says this, The hallmark of Western civilization has been rugged individualism. Because of our philosophy of life, we are used to the personal pronouns I and my and me. We have not been taught to think in terms of we and our and us. Consequently, we individualize many references to the corporate experience in the New Testament, thus often emphasizing personal prayer. But the facts are more is said in the book of Acts and the epistles about corporate prayer and corporate learning of biblical truth and corporate evangelism and corporate Christian maturity and growth and about the personal aspects of these Christian disciplines. Don't misunderstand. Both are intricately related. But the personal dimensions of Christianity are difficult to maintain and practice consistently unless they grow out of a proper corporate experience on a regular basis. You're not likely to do things individually if you don't do them corporately. And I, church, praise alone or not at all. A we church prays together. Roger and Chris are our new uh, chairs of congregational care. And part of what's under congregational care is praying. And to having a time whether no one shows up or 40 people show up to pray together as a church. And the power that's found in that. So first, it's essential that one, we gather around God's Word. Two, we do life together. Three, we pray together. And fourth, that we break bread together and take communion. Say, break bread together. Break bread together. And take communion, two different things. Food is a big deal in the first church. And in every church. Food will get people to come. That's why we're having Wednesday nights with food. Do you think if I offered you to come out Wednesday night together and not feed you anything that all of you would show up in the same way? Probably not. Would a Pentecost picnic without the picnic be much of a picnic or much of an attraction? Probably not. Acts 2, 42. C and 46. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and they broke bread in their homes and they ate what? Together with glad and sincere hearts. They ate together. They went out. We like to do that Sunday for lunch, you know, gather folks out. 
But maybe it's just draw in our own way and just go, you know, I'm going to eat at home or bowl by myself. Or They ate together. And what happens when you're in meals together? Lots of conversation happens. And they did this and they found it to be essential because their leader and Lord had done this with them. They ate meals together. They weren't communion in the same way then. They were just eating meals together. He didn't say to the disciples, okay, I'm going to go over to my own place over here and eat while you guys go over there. They ate together wherever they went. Luke 24, 30, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Typical dinner blessing and meal. But then Jesus also spoke about himself as bread and the importance of that bread. John 6.33 For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 6.35 Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. John 6.51 I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is My flesh. In John 6:53, in case you didn't catch on to all of it, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Jesus Himself had shown Himself to be the bread of life and also shown His disciples how to break bread together in different ways. Luke twenty two nineteen words are familiar with. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What we will do today. The early church would eat together and celebrate the Lord's Supper as a part of their meals. So after they got done with their pizza and with their barbecue, then they celebrated the Lord's Supper together as something totally different. And they remembered the story of redemption once again. Not on a monthly basis, not on a weekly basis, not on a quarterly basis, not on a yearly basis. They gathered, and every time they had a meal together, they incorporated it into who they were and what they do. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26 for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It was a continued time of fellowship focused around Christ, aided by food and eating together. Now, I know that Jesus only gave us two ordinances out of that, things that he had done, baptism and communion, but I'm pretty sure he meant to add a third. And the third is the church potluck. There should be an ordinance of God if it's not. Special deviled eggs. They definitely should be part of every church potluck. Always. Sorry. Don't. So communion is meant to be a communal practice and experience. 
You don't do communion in I church, but we church. In normal times, you don't take communion by yourself or even apart from the church community and the body. There were so many discussions at the beginning of the pandemic about communion and what is actually theologically appropriate. There still is. And we're coming to the end of where that's not going to be appropriate in the same way to take it at home all the time. Some have already stopped doing that. Because it was never meant to be that. It's not meant to have the, the little portable one you can take home and just you know, pop up in the top and then just do it and be at home. It was something we had to do because we had to do it. There was no other option. But it's not what it was meant to be. And theologically, it doesn't really hold up in most circumstances except for those who are homebound and others who can't be present in the body. It's a special thing for us, the church congregation. One of the things that bound the early church and binds us together is communion. Something that we all do. 1 Corinthians 10.16 The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the body of blood of Christ? The bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. Say one. One body, for we all partake of the one bread. The whole point of communion was to draw us together. Though we are different and though we are many, we become one. We all do the same thing in this moment. So how is it essential that we do church together? First, we gather around God's Word. We do life together. We pray together and we share meals and take communion. So what's the fruit of all of this? What's the outcome? The results? We grow. Say grow. We grow. We grow through these things. The last verse of Acts 2, 42-47 that we'll be looking at over the next seven weeks and taking uh, through all of it ends like this. 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Verse 47 says they enjoyed favor, which is the same word for what you, th- what do you think? What do you think the same word for favor is that we use all the time in Methodists? Grace. Grace. People were amazed and favorable towards them. But the best result of all was faith. Every day, more and more people are coming to faith in Christ and joining the church family because they are seeing the early church and what they are doing in their living days. Not what they do on Sunday morning for an hour during worship, but what they actually do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday when they're out in the world. They are seeing how they're living. And the results of this church family and our Good Shepherd family studying the Scriptures together and doing life together and sharing meals and communion together and praying together is there's something so unique and distinct and wonderful about them that others can't help to want to come to faith in Christ. That there's something so different about them. They don't have to say any words. 
They don't have to go out and evangelize the neighborhood. They don't have to do anything except live out what it means to be a Christian in their everyday life, living it as a verb and not an adjective. It's not that they don't do evangelism and witnessing. They do. But they live positively influencing their witness. Do you and I live positively influencing our witness? That someone actually would want to come to Christ because of the way that we act, what we say, what we do in the world every day? And they've had to know more about it because of the way that we were? One pastor said this, Our witness aids our witness. Our witness aids our witness. Christians were meant to be with each other. It's not a solo sport. It's not something you can do on your own. Not be a disciple. We can come to Christ on our own. We have that experience. But even in that, we still have the communal part, everything that we do. We don't baptize on our own. We baptize in front of a what? A community. So each week we're going to explore each one of these four essentials, the other three, and then add three more to it that are also in this passage to take us all the way through July in greater depth. Davis preaches next week on fellowship. Rick preaches on apostles' teaching on the study the week after that. Kim brings us a word on prayer at the end of the month. And then the three more in July, I preach, and then I'm going to Yellowstone. So I'll be gone. But when you get done with these seven things, and we've talked about this in staff and at church and everything else, if we're not doing these seven things effectively, there's absolutely no reason for us to do anything else in the church. Because these seven things are the essentials. They're the bottom line. And we looked at that, and when I thought about it, and when I prayed about it, and when I really wrestled with it, was, oh my gosh, the first four alone. Are we doing the apostles' teaching? Are we doing prayer? Are we really doing fellowship? And are we really doing the breaking of bread together and communion? Something for us to think about. As we now go into a time of communion, this is a table of new expectations. This is a table where everyone can come to receive. This is a table for those who haven't met Jesus before. This is a table with the Lord of the harvest and the catch. This is a table where the host is often the dependent position. This is a table where we are reconciled. This is a table where there is safety and acceptance. This is a table which welcomes, invites, and provides and unites. This is a table where uncomfortable things happen. This is a table that was the natural place to be. This is a table that was the place to meet people. This is the table where strength is restored. This is the table. This is our community. And on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
When supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we all proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died. Christ Christ is risen. Christ Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. And everybody both here and at home said together, Amen. So today I'd like to do something a little bit different in response to today's sermon. We're passing out the bread and the cup as we've been doing as you'll come forward and Susan is laying it out on the altar rails and and you'll come in this direction and come receive and you guys on the sides will come around the back and come down this way and take the elements back to your seat and hold on to them until we all do it together. And as we're doing that, then also at home, you're welcome to get your items ready to go and be able to do that with us as well. But what I want you to do is something a little bit different. To show our unity, thank you, as a church body, when you take it, what I want you to do today is I want you to turn to the person next to you and speak the phrases I normally would speak. And if you don't have somebody to say next to you, turn around to somebody, do it two or three times is fine. Just make sure everybody actually has a connection with somebody in the room in, in some way. And at home, if you have somebody there with you, do that with each other. And if you're also by yourself at home, then do it with us because I will be doing that with you when we do this together. And basically what I want you to do is, is I want you to be able to say the body of Christ broken for you. Practice. The body of Christ broken for you. So what I want you to do is I want you to say that to the person next to you, not yet, and then have them say it back to you. And then take your elements. So basically I would be looking at Susan, and Susan and I would have our cups together, and I would say the body of Christ broken for you, and she would say... The blood of Christ shed for you. No, don't do it yet. Just do the same thing for right now. But you're right, that's really good. I know, you've been very busy. The body of Christ broken for you, and you'll say... The body of Christ broken for you. Right, and then we'll take the bread each, okay? So then, after the bread, then we'll look at each other, and I'll, we'll say, I'll say the blood of Christ shed for you, and you'll say... The blood of Christ shed for you. Right, and then we'll drink. Okay? So that's what we want to do. We want to basically be giving community and communion to each other and be able to do that the same way we might do that uh, in the same way. So, the body of Christ broken for you. Say that with me. And the blood of Christ shed for you. Okay. All right. So, I think we're ready down here in the front. So, why don't you go ahead and here in the sanctuary, if you'll come forward to receive by the center aisles, come forward and receive your communion. Bring it back to your seats. And then I will lead you in doing the other part. You're not alone. I will lead you. I know you very well.
everybody's returned to their seats here in the sanctuary. Take the piece of bread off of your juice and then look at somebody else. And you can do it several times. Make sure everybody has, you look around, make sure everybody has had a chance to do this. And say to somebody, the body of Christ broken for you. Here we go. The body of Christ broken for you. The body of Christ broken for you. When you're done doing that, take the bread. With the juice in your hand, do the exact same thing. The blood of Christ shed for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And that's breaking bread and doing communion together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, remember, as a community of believers, we thank you for your great sacrifice and gift. We remember what you did, what your disciples did, and what the early church did to teach us and to show us the way to be the kind of church you want us to be. Help us to understand these essentials once again and to live into them more fully as your people. In Jesus Christ's name. Everybody said both here and at home. Amen. Today is 138. I give thanks to you with all my heart, Lord. I sing your praise before all other gods. I bow toward your holy temple and thank your name for your royal love and faithfulness because you have made your name and word greater than everything else. On the day I cried out, you answered me. You encouraged me with inner strength. Let the earth's rulers give thanks to you, Lord, when they hear what you say. Let them sing about the Lord's ways because the Lord's glory is so great. Even though the Lord is high, he can still see the lowly, but God keeps his distance from the arrogant. Whenever I am in deep trouble, you make me live again. You send your power against my enemy's wrath. You save me with your strong hand. The Lord will do all this for my sake. Your faithful love lasts forever, Lord. Don't let go of what your hands have made. Thanks be to God. Let us stand for the benediction as we put our mask back on. We thank you, God, for the wonderful example of the early church who continually devoted themselves to apostle teaching, Christian fellowship, the breaking of bread, and earnest prayer. May we follow the wonderful example of these early members of Christ's body, and may we grow in grace and in knowledge of you as we seek to share the truth of the glorious gospel of the grace of God with everyone that we meet. In humility and in love and in Jesus' name, everybody both here at home said together, Amen.